What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Can you help? Can you help me? Can you help? Can you help? Can you help me? Can you help? Can you help? Can you help? Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Self Helpless. I'm Kelsey Cook. I'm Delaney Fisher. And Taylor Tomlinson could not make it this episode. I just said her full name so formally. Uh, <laughs> like, Taylor Tomlinson. Taylor Tomlinson. Uh, <laughs> I think it's because we just said our full names in the intro. Yes. <laughs> anyway, they can't make it this episode, but we're joined by an incredible guest. Um, she's such a brilliant comedian, and her special is called Self Help Me, and it's on YouTube, so you can go watch it for free. What a perfect title of a special to have as a guest. Be more perfect. Yeah. I just appreciated how much of herself she really shared in this episode. She really opened up about a lot of stuff. Yes. Uh, a lot of like, you know, failures, mental health issues. I mean, everything. It was like, yeah, I, I really appreciated how open and honest she was. So great. So it's Liz Mealy, everybody. She's great. And here is our episode with her. All right, welcome to the show, Liz Mealy, everybody. Yay! Yay. Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> That's our That's sound nice. effect. <laughs> I, I was hoping for like maybe some like, I don't know, glitter or something. It's it's women that host it. I was expecting like tampons to fly out or something, but this is fine. I mean, I'll accept it. <laughs> we just do a hard Kegel and shoot one at you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. What have you been doing during quarantine if that's not what you show your guests? <laughs> really? I mean... <laughs> what a waste Step of quarantine. art. Let's do it again, ladies. Crap. Do it again. <laughs> From the top. From the top. <laughs> That's the new wob. From the top. Shoot a out. Oh boy. We've lost and we've lost all of Coming us. Coming in hot. Listen, yeah. If anybody's yeah. still listening. Uh, great. Um, Click. So, so Liz, you and I know each other through stand-up and um, you have an amazing special called Self Help Me. And yes. we talked about how 
you would you'd be a great fit for an episode of the podcast. But before we get into your special kind of your background um, as a comedian who's into self help, can you share one of your favorite quotes? Yeah. Okay. So I mean, it's dork factor. I have post its all over my wall. Like you can't see it, but I have these everywhere. Oh. I probably have like. I don't know, like a hundred quotes. Cause I just, you know, like before Instagram, we, we had to it. do it ourselves. Yes. yes. <laughs> I love that. You yes. know, so now you could just save them. And then a friend's having a bad day and you're like, wait, wait, I think hurt people hurt people. And you send it out and you're like a hero <laughs> and you're like, you don't even need to talk to her. Cause she's dealing with her own shit. Um, but before that, so like great. such a dork. And I, oh, you know, sometimes you just need that, like that, that little, like thing that just kind of gets you going and it's succinct. So I literally went to my wall and I was like, what are ones that I've been like thinking about lately? And so yeah. I did, I pulled some stuff off my wall, but I think this one is like perfect for right now. Um, so it's basically, if you're not prepared to be wrong, you'll never come up with anything original. And it just, yeah, it's, it's, it's Sir Ken Robinson. Um, to me, I feel like that in one for stand-up that just applies to just how you create. Like we know right. that you have to bomb and make mistakes and just kind of like flounder and really just be okay with looking almost unprofessional or just not together to get to the crux of what is funny and what you're really trying to say and what's important yeah. to you. But on a larger note, what's happening with cancel culture and um, people not allowing adults to make mistakes. There's a difference between being a monster and getting away with stuff for 40 years and right. being somebody that's still learning because this um, world is constantly changing, that right. you're, we're in a weird place where we're not allowing people to make mistakes and penalizing them. So we're gonna, it's going to hurt creativity if you don't allow people to fuck up publicly, especially since life is more public than it's ever been. Right. So I think both as people that speak and say craziness all the time on a, in, a, in a really raw way, both as a podcast people and, and comedians, but yeah. also just as a human, like I should be able to say something and be like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, oh, I know that. Now, if you're an ignorant and you're fine being in your ignorance, but I actually think most people just don't know. And if you shout at them or, or take away their lives when they were just going with the knowledge they have, that doesn't really... In enlist people to learn and get better and grow as people. And I think we can, sure. we tell kids are allowed to make mistakes and then we tell adults they're not. So I don't yeah. know, to me that applies so much both as a creative person, but just as what's kind of going on with this like lynch mob mentality and how we treat people both online and in person. Totally. Yeah. Oh, I just love that you have a quote while like my yeah. <laughs> heart sores. Can you just keep sharing them? I, we, we love oh. multiple quotes. Go oh, yeah, yeah. I took another one. This one is a success, cons um, success consists uh, of going from failure to failure without, without loss of enthusiasm. And that's Churchill. And to me, I mean, again, that just applies to us as, I mean, I've been failing upward for 18 years. Like, you know, yeah. nobody... People are starting to kind of know who I am and know my comedy, but one, I don't look my age. So when people have find you, out, have you been doing comedy for 18 years? Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. Nobody knows. Like I'm, I'm 35 years old. Like people don't know my age. I don't look at both your faces. Pick it oh, up. Wow. Ladies. I'm at like, you're 25. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll tell you my skincare regimen. Um, yeah. Yes, please. Uh, that's what the rest of the episode will be devoted to. I'm sorry. It's Whoa. your own fault for being oh, a 
witch, what yeah, no. is happening? <laughs> Uh, sometimes there's benefits to being a cat lady. Nobody talks about it. They're just like, you're a loser. And I'm like, I'm a loser that's going to look amazing forever. Um, Holy shit. Yeah. I started stand up when I was 16. So in a lot of ways, like my community kind of knows because I've been in New York for most of it. And I had a lot of early success in my career in the sense that I worked a lot and I got on TV early, but for whatever reason, some of it I think was my own uh, emotional immaturity and, and some comedic immaturity. I just never popped off the way most people would with the early success that I had. And I went through my Mm -hmm. bitter phase. I'm over it. You know, I went through the like, what was me phase. Um, but I just started just doing whatever I needed to do because I just love comedy and it didn't really care. I didn't really care what level of success I got. I just wanted to be able to work and do it. So it's, it is kind of weird that I'm pushing almost 20 years and I don't look my age. I don't, it's a little sad. My career doesn't match how long I've been doing it, but I do think my ability to both work, but also I would say my skill level, I would like to think matches my years. Um, yeah, by the way, Liz is an incredible comedian. Like, please go follow. (laughs) What's your Instagram handle real quick at Liz Mealy at Liz Mealy. Please go follow her. I mean, the the stand-up videos you post are so incredible. I oh, I you. quoted one of them to you when I did your online show because it stuck <laughs> with me so much. Like you're oh. just so original and so funny. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. So I think that, you know, if I can be like the thing that I've kind of garnered both for, uh, you know, every self-help book that I've read that's made me kind of deal with my my so-called failures is that if I would have gotten the success I had hoped for, when things were really going well four, five, six years into my career, I wouldn't be the comic I am today. And I know that. Yeah. So I, yeah. I know for a fact, and I can see how it works, which is if you do it at this level and people said, this is amazing, this is the best, you stay at that level. There's no reason to push yourself. But if you're at this level and people go, it's not good enough, you keep pushing and you keep pushing. Right. And so because people kept saying it wasn't good enough. I was like, well, then I need to get better. And I'm now at a place where like, now I'm not like still searching for approval. A nice thing about social media is that people are, people are now discovering my first album from almost seven years ago. And they're like, this is amazing. And I was like, I knew it was amazing. (laughs) Like I'm I'm starting to get the self-esteem I should have had seven years ago. Cause I'm like, now I'm getting the validation for it. But it was a little funny where like, I, creatively, I am actually really happy. I didn't get the success I so much wanted as well as on a maturity level. I was chasing approval. Every TV credit, everything that like everything that I got was basically you're good enough. And I had to find that on my own because I wasn't getting it from an outside source. So I don't even know if I would have been happy if I had the success that I got. And I know I wouldn't have been mentally stable if I'm being very frank, because I wasn't mentally mm-hmm. stable then. And I went through a long phase of not being in the right headspace. So honestly, that quote really um, uh, sticks with me just because every failure has actually made me grow. And I've had to learn, like I'm the friend, I'm the really dorky friend in my group that when something bad happens, I can now spin it into a positive and it's become like my skill set. So the first little baby like failure is positivity is any thumbs down, any hate comments, anybody shitting on you, I get excited. So for me, if I see it on YouTube or Instagram, do you know what that means? 
something's going viral. Something's no longer, it's no longer your fans or your friends or your family seeing it because they already love you. They're not going to say, well, women aren't funny or, you know, this is garbage. So all of a sudden you go, Ooh, this is on the explore page. Ooh, somebody recommended this. Somebody sent this to a friend. It's going outside the circle. And that just means it's growing. And then we all know because of the algorithm, they can't tell the difference between hate and, and, um, and like, so every hate comment just pushes it forward. Yes. It just makes it, <laughs> right. it truly some of my most viral videos is because people did not enjoy them. <laughs> did not like them. It's, it's just a bunch of women aren't funny and this is garbage and I can't believe this is comedy. But what happens is the haters see it. They can't tell the difference. Then it pushes it to the people that like it. And so maybe the first 100,000 views is this is garbage, but the next 500,000 views are, oh, I can't believe, I've never didn't know this woman. This I just discovered yeah. in a comic. So I started this podcast during the pandemic with my friend Maria. And like, you know, we, we were doing all right in the beginning and then we started getting some thumbs down. And she like, she's so funny. She'll, she'll be like, we're getting thumbs down. And I was like, that's good. And she's like, why? And I was like, because it's no longer, they're no longer discovering it because they're fans of us. It's, it's people from the outside world. And that's great. That means we're expanding. And she's like, what's wrong with you? She's like, I'm proud of you, but what's wrong with you? <laughs> but it's become yeah. trained where like my initial thought isn't, you know, oh, somebody doesn't like me. My thought is, ooh, where, where is this going to end up? Who's going to see this because this guy that doesn't like me saw it? So, I, so I, yeah, I've learned great. in different ways to, to kind of, not even just spin it because it is truthful, but to, to kind of be excited that, okay, this didn't, and like to experiment. Like mm-hmm. I, because I never went the traditional path, almost everything I do is an experiment and I have no problem failing in front of people. Like I have friends when it comes to social media, they'll post something and I'll get no likes. They'll get like seven likes and they're like, oh, I got to delete it. Why? Because if something goes well two days from now, people are going to go back and they're going to discover it. And maybe maybe your people just aren't there yet to discover how great that picture is or that video or whatever. Right. So a hundred percent, there's people discovering videos from five, 10 years ago today, because I left them up. They had a hundred views from 10 years ago and now they have 40,000 views because I left it there. And that's actually the beauty of the internet in general. But I, I, I think it's all, I'm, I, at least in my time, and I think everybody that does something for a long time have just known that it's a, a cumulative. I can't say words well. Cumulative? Cumulative, um, yeah. Yeah, I think it's coming out. Um, but it, <laughs> you see it more and more. And so my, my stand-up is no longer just a moment in time, but it builds off each other, both the skill set, but also what joke is going to resonate with people at what time. Just like the fact that you'll do a joke and it's a little bit before it's time or the right people didn't see it. And then for whatever reason people discover something, it goes viral and it's completely out of your hands. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, you are a wise owl of the forest, Liz. (laughs) I love, I'm such a big fan of finding that way to put the positive spin on it. And I think those words are very needed for all our listeners, whether, you know, you're in comedy or not. Um, Can you expand I mean if you're comfortable a little bit on you said that at one point you were feeling like you weren't mentally stable but that you feel that way now are you able to talk about what you were going through what got you over the hump into where you are now yeah I mean I think we all do this or at least people that put their job or their creative um uh whatever they're doing creative as a, a something that defines them I think I've you know I've always had low self-esteem I've always had low self-worth and Comedy was a thing that I both discovered because I loved it, but as I got 
positive reinforcement. Like people, I started when I was young, I pretty much like looked like this, just like bigger cheeks. I don't know why they're more sunken in these days. Um, I was admiring your cheekbones. You have fantastic what? cheekbones. Thank My you. God, like Thank natural you. contour. <laughs> Thank you. I haven't worn makeup in seven months. Keep going. Um, <laughs> That's why your uh, skin looks so good. Thank you. Um, no chemicals, <laughs> just drinking water. Not true. Okay. Um, I like to lie to people. I'm just like, oh, it's just natural. I used to do that all the time. I'd be like, it's just natural, but it was all birth control. It was 100% birth. Oh. I was like, I just eat right. I'm just a good person, but it was just mostly birth control. Is that um, a good heart? Yeah. 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 It's just like, you just have to exude kindness. Then your skin <laughs> responds. Um, but I, I just, I, because I felt so low about myself and I loved comedy and it was starting, I was getting attention because I was a young comic, you know, there's not, especially almost 20 years ago, there wasn't a lot of females, let alone young females. Um, and I've always had a really dark sense of humor and I was always a writer. So I just kind of stood out and I got into clubs early. I was, I was doing homework at bars while waiting to go on. I would pack peanut butter and jelly. I would like camp out and just try to get as much stage time as possible. There's so many ridiculous stories about when I was like a 16, (laughs) 17 year old doing comedy. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. But, um, so especially because people would say, oh, you're really smart, which I never felt like I was smart. I'm dyslexic and I've always had like an inferiority complex because of that about my intelligence. So I always just felt like I was tricking people. Um, You know, I wanted to be funny, but you know, like they always say, like in early on, your content doesn't really match your expertise or what you think is funny. So you always think like you're not good enough, even when you're getting good responses on stage. So I was getting positive attention in this area and it was like the only place I was getting positive attention. And it just became a little bit of a monster, which is if, if I'm not being successful in this area, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not good enough. People aren't going to care about me. People aren't going to want to be around me. I've always struggled to make friends. Um, I've always struggled to feel like I can be myself. Uh, I've always been a people pleaser. I've like, I'm only in the last couple of years have learned to kind of set boundaries with that. And even with the boundaries I've set, I, it's like two days of guilt. And then I have to like, truly like journal. I'm like, I'm allowed to say no, there's no reason to move someone to California if I don't even know their last name. Like just like crazy. Like I've always, my family's actually like, my parents are really kind people. We've always been like, give the shirt off your back, even if you don't have another shirt to put on kind of people. And I've really had to learn why I do that and, and how detrimental that can be. Well, also I like being a nice person. I want to continue to be nice, but how do I do that without sacrificing my happiness and stuff? So I think both 
bending over backwards for others and then also putting all my value in my success and how people saw me as a comic, I just, it, it's unmaintainable. And people can tell you that, but it's not until you kind of almost burn out and hit like kind of a rock bottom. I lost the relationship because of how kind of crazy I was. Um, I definitely think I pushed away friends, like potential friends, like people that I was starting to get close to, but I was just too like in my head. And like, I was always, I was always that person. And we all kind of know that person that like, you see somebody get something and they can't let it go. They're just like, why would they get that? I don't even under, they just started stand up three days ago and I'm definitely cuter and funnier. Like I was that person for a right. while. And my friends would try to be like, dude, it's not about you. And I was like, of course it's not about me, but it is, it is about me. And like just being crazy. And I went through that for a couple of years and I'm really grateful. Like I'm grateful I got dumped. Like I can actually look back and be like, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I hit some kind of career and relationship rock bottom, got me into therapy, um, started reading different types of self-help books. Like I think my dad trained me to be like Tony Robbins, you know, um, uh, Stephen Covey, like that typical, like, how do you, how can you be more efficient and how can you get what you want from people? Like that was like, my dad's like that old school generation of like, how do you trick people into liking you? Yeah. And I was like, that's what you do. You just trick people. And then you, and that's the weird thing is when you think you're tricking people into liking you, like how to win friends and influence people where I'm just like, I look you in the eye. I'm like, Kelsey, Anyway, how was your day? <laughs> like, just kind of, you don't ever feel like you're connecting with people because you feel like a robot. And I've always felt like a robot socially. But as I move towards healing myself emotionally, understanding my emotions, um, um, expressing my emotions, um, uh, uh, not bullying myself, and got more like power of now, emotional intelligence stuff, like more the kind of psychology self help as opposed to trickery self-help, you know, sorry if that's mm -hmm. offensive. Um, oh, I, I, I started to feel better. I'm actually rereading the power of now because we talked about it on, um, my podcast with my, uh, with my friend and we both, that's how we became friends. I was reading it when I was 21. She was on a show. I thought she was super funny and we all went out to get Chinese food and I didn't really know her. I just thought she was funny and I don't know how it came up, but I had just finished it and she had just started it and we just got all dorky and then we became friends. And so we decided to talk yeah. about it on the podcast and I was like, I haven't read it since I was 21 and like rereading it. I I actually think it defines my stand-up, which is weird really? because I did not apply it as a human. <laughs> I uh, definitely did not like. There's, I picked up a couple of stuff, but I still struggled emotionally. But when I reread it, I'm like, this is what I do with my stand-up because it's all about like um, understanding, being in the now, and understanding your emotions and picking apart your reactions to stuff. And that's almost what I do with my stand-up. So if I and, you know, I have a joke for my special of uh, a woman wanting to cut in line because all she had was a greeting card at CVS and being like, yeah, of course, you can totally cut in line. And then as we're waiting for the person that's being checked out to leave, she's just like, oh, um, my best friend's mother died. And I'm like, cool. Okay. And I was like, sorry to hear that. And then she's like, yeah, you know, when my own mother died and just like being like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, why the, like, I let you cut in line. I'm not going to, I don't want to hear about your open mic sad story. Like just this, and like, Clearly, I didn't say that, but the rage right. inside of me felt right. that. And after she got online, I start laughing. I'm like a crazy person. I start laughing and I started writing it down immediately. And I was like, why am I such a psychopath? Like, why does that kind of connection and people, uh, now they call it uh, emotional labor, like that, like 
you know, when you, like women deal with it all the time where people dump on them. Or like, if I would call, if I would call one of you and just be like, fucking this thing happened to me, like, didn't even ask about your day. I'm just like dumping my bad right. day on you. We did so, an episode on that. On emotional yeah. Labor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just learned about it like a year ago. And I was like, yes, that is such a like pet peeve of mine. And I used to do it all the time, by the way. And now, now that I know about it, I'm like, what assholes? <laughs> like now the tables have turned. <laughs> and I was like, I would never. Um, <laughs> but like, I'm really sensitive to it, especially because I think when you're like, you don't have boundaries, people take advantage of it. They kind of, you know, glom onto your time, but it it was so, so interesting. And I spent like three days being like, why am I so angry at this woman? And it's now like a three and a half minute bit in my set, but like, I can see how, because I never really understood my emotions. I couldn't really identify them. I grew up with a dad that said, you know, uh, control your emotions. That was the mantra in my house, control your emotions. And then he raised five kids that can't identify or understand their emotions. And it's take, and I still struggle with it. Like I have to sit down and journal and be like, am I sad? Is that why Mm. I'm being grumpy right now and being a bitch to everybody? Like I, I still have to kind of do the work or like right now, like I will go, somebody will be like, how are you? And I'll be like, I think I'm sad. I don't know why, but I'm pretty sure I'm sad. You did <laughs> like, dig a little bit. Yeah, I still have to dig. But now with my stand up, like it's actually really helps me emotionally to be like, oh, I'm really angry. Well, why am I angry? Well, because this is something my father used to say to me and it made me feel bad about myself. And so when I hear it in the wild, it triggers me and like, and it takes me on a path. And like, I don't know, there's something about the power of now that made you kind of understand your emotions, acknowledge your emotions, and then stop reacting to them. Because it's, it's going to take a really bad day now for you to get the reaction. I was definitely a reactor 10 years ago. And now with therapy and self-help books and practice and what have you, I'm, I might have an internal reaction, but it's very rare that I have an external reaction. It has to be a really bad situation. Right. With emotional labor, I've mentioned on the podcast before, being mindful of like using somebody's minutes. If your friends and family are phone plans or whatever, to be aware of how many of their emotional minutes you're using. And, yeah. you know, we all need to lean on friends and family from time to time where you might be taking up a larger part of the conversation and that pie chart. But I'm the same as you, Liz. And I think this happens a lot on planes where my instinct, if I sit next to somebody who immediately wants to talk about our like their life story with me or chat about what I do for a living, where I'm going... I get very um, kind of like wet cat where I'm like, oh God, I'm about to like, this is about to be a five hour flight. I don't want to engage with this person and have them think that I want to converse with them for five hours. (laughs) Like if I knew for sure that they expected it to be a 10 second exchange of like, hey, so, you know, what are you heading to Philly for? Whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I... I am afraid to almost give off too warm of an energy to a stranger on a plane because I don't want that feeling of being a social conversational hostage. Oh yeah. And you're, you're literally trapped. You're trapped. Mm -hmm. And of course my guilt comes from the fact that I don't want this person to think I'm an asshole for anywhere from five hours to 10 years where like you hear those stories where they're just like, you know, I met Chris Rock. 15 years ago and he was the dick and you're like was he a dick or is he busy like right, fuck right. off like 
but that's, but right. my thing is always that fear of like, I'm not the perfect version. And then these people are forever going to hate me. And then I am going to have to hate myself. And, or I don't, I try not to like stick up for myself online because it just like, who the fuck are you to judge me? But also this is yeah. a waste of my time, but I still have it inside me where like, I'll read something and they're just like, well, I don't know. And then you're just like, ah! and then you have to be like, they don't matter. They don't, they don't matter. Yeah. It's that, that work is like 15 years <laughs> oh <laughs> to my go God. from like, to, to like feeling like you have to be there for somebody, even a stranger to not being there, but feeling like they're going to judge you forever to also being like, you know what, if that's how they feel about me, that's how they feel about me. And that's not my problem. Right. Especially yeah. if you're a more public person, there is that pressure of like, yeah, that you always in every situation have to just like radiate perfection. And, yeah. and it's like, we, you don't hold any other humans up to that standard, but yeah, like the, the Chris Rock situation is so perfect. It's somebody like that. It, maybe he was a dick. Maybe he wasn't in this weird situation, but forever now that person will spread that story of like, oh, he was a yeah. dick. Yeah. Yeah. What's that yeah. quotable that we all- just had that was like, what somebody thinks about you is none of your business. I love that. Yeah. Love that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, who cares? It's like one of the harder things. And weirdly enough, it's less with strangers. It's my family. That's the hardest thing is like, there's so much toxic di- like um, dynamics in my family that I just have to be okay with the fact that someone thinks I'm selfish or somebody thinks, oh, oh, Liz, Liz isn't coming to this reunion. Must be nice that she's so busy. Is it, is it nice that I'm busy or am I literally trying to pay my rent? Like, you know, but you get to a point where you're like, if they don't know by now that none of this is personal and I'm doing the best I can to show up for this family, I, I, it's never going to change. And I'm not going to give up my career or, you know, my happiness to make somebody else finally see the see me the way I want to when it's so fleeting to begin with. Yeah. Right. Also, oh, I was just gonna I have a question of just about your career, Liz. You know, when you because you kind of mentioned like, you know, several years ago you were, you know, getting TV stuff or maybe you expected to for it to take off in a certain direction, or maybe the comedy community expected you to take off in a certain direction. What was there like a moment where you said, all right, I'm going to focus on something different or I'm going to take my career into my own hands. Like, was there a a change where you were kind of, you were seeking kind of the external validation and they were like, you know what, I'm going to focus on what I can control with my career. Can you kind of talk about that? If that shift happened or what that looked like for you? I mean, I know exactly when it happened. I was like, I, I was 10 years in and I wasn't okay. I lived with, do you know Carmen Lynch? Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah she, New York comic. She, we lived together uh, for four years and her career was taking off. And my, like I, like I said, I had broken up my boyfriend. I had, um, at the time I was living with strangers, but eventually it turned into two friends, which was Carmen and my still roommate, Chris. And I think she picked me up off the ground emotionally every morning. <laughs> like literally we'd sit in the kitchen. She'd be like, how are you doing? And I would just like ball and she'd be like, it's going to get better. And I was like, is it? Um, and I was, I mean, I give her so much credit cause I was not okay to be around and she was doing great and I was not, and I was just, I couldn't handle and it had nothing to do. I was extremely happy for her and I could show up as a good friend and be happy for her. But we had started at the same time and I just felt like everything I tried and everything I went to do every, 
like every failure just kept going this way and we would be doing the same thing and she would go that way. And it, I never held it. I feel good about my personality in the sense that I never held that against her and I always could show up for her, but I couldn't, I couldn't see the light at the tunnel for me. And the fact that we had very similarities in, um, our experiences and it wasn't working out for me just made me feel like I kept doing stuff wrong. And so she was there for me emotionally, but she was really like, I, I, I know that it's going to get better, but you need to figure out how it's going to get better. And the real turning point was, um, my friend, Amanda, who's not a comic. We, we grew up together, went to high school together and I would call her also crying. I was really fun to be around during this time. <laughs> um, super great friend. I really, I have, I've had friends for 15, 20, 25 years. And I, I, I don't know how they went through some of the phases with me. Um, cause they were all great, but Amanda was interesting because she was like, if you're so unhappy, why don't you quit? And I would get furious with her, like truly angry with her because fuck you. Like, what do you, like, that's not how it works. Like just cause you're unhappy. Like I'm not unhappy. I know I'm crying every time I call you, but I'm not unhappy. This is, I love this. And I just sounded right. crazy, but I wasn't wrong. And she made me think about, cause I was really mad at her. I was like, she just doesn't get it. I'm not going to bring my comedy problems to Amanda, but it made me go, well, what is the problem? Because I do love standup. I've never, not once have I ever really thought about quitting because of standup. I love writing. I love the problem solving aspect of it. I love creating. Um, I love performing. Nothing about the art of standup makes me sad. The industry does. The industry feels personal. The industry has been holding me down underwater in my mind for so long. And every time I think I'm going to come back up and like breathe some air, they're like, nah. And I just, it was destroying my insides. And it, it kind of just clicked. I was like, okay, I'm, what do I really want? Fuck the industry. What do I want? I just want to be what I defined as a real comic. And I think everybody has their own definition. But my, my dream was to come out with an album and to be a headliner comic. And if, if that's my dream, I'm pretty sure I can handle, I can do that on my own. So I started making a list of stuff that to me defined a real comic. And from that list, what can I do on my own? And so there was like record labels and stuff. And I knew somebody that was interested, but then I just started talking to comics that had done it on their own. And I was like, I think I can do this on my own. And I, I had an hour material. And what's funny about it is I, uh, and this is where like you start to see, like it does feel a little bit for a crazy person personal, but like I decided to make an album. Me and Carmen uh, recorded it and we both did an hour in Boston. The first one, like it, like first show, it like rained and like nobody showed up. Second show was good, but like I was off and there were some weird audio issues. So I was like, fuck that. It's not good enough. I'm not going to do it. A couple months later, I do a show at the stand. I do a one-off. Nailed it. Like felt amazing. Felt great. Get the audio. There's like popping and skipping in like <sighs> two different sections. And I went to every audio person you could think of. They couldn't fix it. They could not figure out how to fix it. And there was no backup show. And I was devastated. I remember... I, I had a boyfriend at the time when this, when this was going and he's like, well, maybe, you know, maybe something. And I was, I was like so mean to him. I was just like, you don't get it. Like I was a real terror for a while guys. Um, but I just, I was so devastated that I had decided to do something on my own and it still didn't work out. I was like, what the fuck that what I decided it was to scrap that entire hour. And I built that hour over like six years. Like some, some bits were a year old, some bits were three years old, some bits were as old as six years. And what I decided is like, I'm just going to fucking get rid of that whole hour. For some reason, it's not good enough. I'm going to just write another, a new hour. And when that hour's ready, I'm going to record my first hour. 
So that's wow. what I did. I scrapped everything except for, I think, maybe two of my more recent jokes that I liked. I wrote, it took me about a year and a half. I wrote a new hour, um, was super paranoid. So I got like the best guy in audio to do it. I literally <laughs> was like, I want to be labbed. I want you to mic over here. I want there to be a backup over there. I spent way yeah. too much money because I was just like, I'm paranoid. Um, I did two shows and that's what my first hour is um, called Emotionally Exhausting, which I now put on for free on YouTube. But yeah. it was the best decision for a lot of reasons in the sense that it forced, it, I learned so much about myself. Like I learned how like diligent of a writer I am, how fast of a writer I can be. My standup and my voice was really, um, is congruent the right word? It was just all in line because it was who I was in that year and a half, as opposed to, you know, we all morph oh, as right. comics and people over six years. So this hour was like an hour, like it took a year and a half. This was like the most recent version of Liz. And then, um, uh, I took a PR class. I decided I had lost my manager around that time. That was also a lot of the reason I was crying. Um, so, uh, I decided, and I couldn't get another manager. I was like, you know, if I can't get a manager and agent, I'll be my, I'll be my own manager. And if social media's whole job is to shout your name from the rooftop and represent you, I'll just learn about social media. So like, again, this is almost 10 years ago. Gary Vaynerchuk wasn't even a name yet. He wrote a book called crush it. He was like, nobody was really teaching you about social media or talking about it. It was a very thin book. And me and my roommate read it, uh, uh, Chris, who I still live with, uh, not in comedy. And we just started talking about it. And then I probably read four more books that year. Um, I took this PR class. Um, Cambry Cruz now has a club in Queens called uh, QED. But when she just opened it, she had done a bunch of stuff in PR. So she taught a bunch of stuff. I love that your cat is just in the background. Like, <laughs> She will not stop. I also, I also gesticulate. So I am like a giant cat toy of a person. Like I'm sure she's just like going to attack your computer at some point. Oh, she's so fat. I love her. (laughs) Is the sweetest. Um, But I, I got obsessive about representing myself and learning about social media. And that's honestly, that's from eight, nine years ago. And that's defined my career. Same thing. Like, um, so I did my own PR and my joke feminist exposition went viral. And that was a hundred percent strategic of like sending it to feminist blogs, having any comic that I thought had a feminist skew, asking them to like retweet it and stuff. I got a, it ended up being in all these one feminist blog, picked it up. Then all the other ones picked it up. Then these viral kind of websites picked it up. Um, I ended up doing something for Upworthy because of it, but it's, it was like b- bigger than any TV credit I had. It's still how people know who I am. I think it has like 2 million views now, which wow. with how things are going viral now, that's not a big deal. But from seven years ago, it, it was. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's what kind of put my name on the map. And it's, it's the reason I started headlining more. It's the reason industry knew who I was. I started getting auditions, even though I didn't have managers and agents. Um, but it really, it just taught me that I could, take things into my own hands and I could make a name for myself without being on TV, without having a manager. And, um, just, uh, if I want to do something, figuring out how I can do it on my own. So yeah. to your point, like it, it was like hitting some kind of rock bottom, but also taking my dreams and getting it down to, to get rid of the clutter. Cause you know, I was the type of person that I would see somebody on the cover of golf digest and be like, why not me? <laughs> like, I don't play <laughs> golf, but I still like, why didn't they even think of me? Like I was fucking crazy. And then when I really pulled back and I was like, well, that's just because I want attention. What is it that I really want? If I'm into stand up because I love stand up, what is it that I like about it? 
what are my real goals? And doing that kind of recentered me and made me start shooting for stuff that I want to do and, and making opportunities for myself and controlling it in a way to the point where like, even now I can turn away, you know how we are. Like if it's $9, we'll go and do it, but it doesn't feel good. You're like, this isn't worth my time. I'm losing money. How like it, it would make you either nervous or angry or resentful. And now I'm in a place where I'm like, I, I wrote it on, I think a year ago before all this stuff happened. I, 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 again, that kind of weird, crazy mindset that I have. I was like, if I died on the way to this gig and someone found out how much money I was making, would I be ashamed? And that's how I decide if I take a gig now. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. I mean, that's easily one of the best things I've heard all year. That's, yeah. that's a good litmus test. You just mm-hmm. changed my entire career. I but. hope so because we're freelancers and it gets to a right. point. And I get if you're like an artist, maybe you're not leaving, but like we, we, first of all, you just have to know that most comics die because of, you know, suicide, drug overdose, or because of car crashes. So we're just, we're an unhealthy brand that we're lonely and we're sad and we have bad habits. And, you know, I'm always driving when I'm tired. And so I would get really, t- and like, I don't drink coffee unless I'm going to die on the road. And I found myself like almost falling asleep at the wheel and being like, how dumb would I feel if I was doing Bumblefuck New Jersey for like $200? And this is how I, I didn't even like the gig. This was a shitty gig. This gig made me feel bad about myself. So then on the other side of it, I started taking risks where I was like, what a cool way to die. Like I took, I'm a very scared person. I took like motor, like, um, Uber scooters in Thailand (laughs) when I was doing shows in Thailand. And I was like, I'd be okay with this being in my obituary. It's kind of cool. Like I kind of be like, yeah, that's a cool way to die. So that's fantastic. Yeah, that's good. You could ask yourself about it. Any anything that you're doing. If I died yes. like this, would I be okay with it? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Exactly. And and it's only and it's also like really a good litmus test for like who you spend your time with because that same people pleaser always feeling guilty. I was like, if I knew I was going to die tomorrow would I be happy that I saw this person or would I be like, that's not who I would have chose. And so making Mm. more time for my family, making more time for my close friends, saying no to the shitty gig and then just staying home and just feeling good about myself so that I'm not angry when I do a gig that I do want to do. Like just kind of being a little bit more in tune with what I actually want to do and not feeling like these invisible powers are making me feel like I have to do stuff, which is of no fault of anybody except for maybe my parents, but, um, you know, <laughs> me, kind of them. What isn't, what isn't their fault? Really? You Shout know. out to childhood trauma. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love them. They know what they did. Yeah. They did the best they could. Um, but you know what you did. Yeah. <laughs> We've had the talk. Um, but sure. there is a part of me that's like, it's not, you know, if you ask a favor of me and I feel guilty about saying no to it, that's not your fault. That's my fault. You know what I mean? That's the work that I have to do. So starting, I would always be like, I would, you know, I'd always do favors for people or help people, but in certain situations I'd feel really resentful. And now I'm angry at somebody. They don't know why I'm angry. It's not their fault. They crossed the boundary. They don't know anything about it. And it's taken me a long time to undo a a lot of really bad habits I've had since I was a kid and it's kind of crazy. I'm like, I was telling somebody the other day, like, I'm so grateful this pandemic happened when I was in my thirties. A, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm more secure in who I am and my career and stuff, but 
I would not have been okay. Like I would legit mentally not be okay if this was happening when I was like 21, 22, 23. Like it's, and I have actually a lot of empathy for a lot of college kids and people in the beginning of their careers. Cause this is, this is a real blow, even though it's clearly not their fault. This is a huge blow to anybody's life goals, you know, feel. And like, you know, the way society makes it feel like if you don't accomplish everything by the time you're 30, you're a failure. Like that's a big part of, I've had to talk to my little sister who just turned 30 this year to be like, it's, it's, it's a little bit society, a little bit our family, but you gotta, you gotta undownload that, that program because you're going to torture yeah. yourself. Mm-hmm. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, and we've mentioned on here to trying to get rid of that toxic way of thinking in this year in particular of people going, if you don't start your own business, if you don't just crush 2020 because now you've got the time, then what a waste. It's like, nope, you got to get that shit out of there. And I totally fell victim to it early on where I was like, well, I should, I I should use all this time to do these things. And that's fine. If you want to, if you do genuinely feel motivated and you want to tackle new projects and create things, that's awesome. But I think we all need to continue to remind ourselves that this is traumatizing every day that this still continues. It's traumatizing and it takes a lot of time and energy to just feel okay every day right now. Um, And so if you don't accomplish what you wanted to accomplish that week, that's okay (laughs) because we're all dealing with so much stuff. It's it. I honestly like I, and I'm a workaholic. I mean, it's, it's, we all are. Yeah. yeah, Like, and there's, and there's benefits to it, but I've also had to learn like, do I really want to be doing this or am I avoiding something? And like, even being like, Hey, you can still do it, but at least acknowledge that you're avoiding something or at least journal today so that you could like, I, I see some of my toxic habits and I, sometimes I just kind of talk to myself. I'm like, you can still do it. You can still be crazy, but let's, let's acknowledge why we're being crazy. Like, (laughs) let's talk about it. So (laughs) that that kind of like, I know for like, I mean, I hit the ground running. I was in Europe, I was in London and I was supposed to continue to do a European tour and, you know, had to get sent home. And I was with my friend Maria, who I have the podcast with. And I was like, almost getting on the plane being like, we should start a podcast. (laughs) Like, like we should do something like, and we did, like, I came home within three days, we were recording it within two weeks, the first couple of episodes were out and it was the right move to make. But like, I know, I know for a fact that that was fear. Like that was absolute fear of, I've never gone more than like a week and a half without doing stand up, And I've don't know how to really make money or 
I don't know how to identify myself without stand up. Even with all the self work I've done, it's like, you know, I changed my bio on Twitter to be stay at home comedian. Like it's still like, you can't take that out. Like it's still something, it's still something I have to work on, but I still define myself by my career. And I think there is a lot of toxicity to that. And I can still see it, you know, almost 20 years in, but I will, I feel like in the beginning it was, oh shit, I'm not going to be making money and this is scary. And then in the middle, it, I had to take a breather and be like, am I okay? Like, am I going to be okay? Like, fuck financially. Like, am I going to be okay if this, cause at first it was like, this is going to last two months. Isn't this crazy? And then when we all realized it was going to be more, I was like, I need to be okay if this is the next two years of my life. And what am I going to do both financially and emotionally to be okay with this? And then checking in on my friends that are very similar to me and being like, where are you financially? Where are you emotionally? So me, um, Adrian Appalucci, who's a comic here and Carmen Lynch, we all have like a group chat. We like FaceTimed once a week to be like, are you okay? Are you getting unemployment? Are you okay? (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? Who got got a new pet? Like who's, who's doing all the things to see if they can stay sane, but then just being like, okay, what, like brainstorming, like, what can we do to make money? What do you feel comfortable? Are we going to do outdoor shows? Like having a little bit of a, a group of people in the same headspace to feel a little less crazy. Because I, I think even like my older sister has three kids. She pretty much had to quit her job and be a full-time mom, which was never what she wanted to do. Um, and like, I think moms had to go through that, like, you know, online learning. I have a couple of friends that are like, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me is online learning and, and trying to corral kids in front of a computer at pretty much any age. And then you have people that were in the beginning of their career. Like my little brother, um, my youngest brother is 24, 25 and he's a paralegal. And now he's just going to Fordham and like just him being like, I'm going to quit my job and go to school. I hope that's the right move. Like, like, you know, yeah. Who who knows? Like it's just this weird time where the adults like this is the first time my parents have been sympathetic. <laughs> like oh wow, you know, like they've always been supportive. But my dad, up until probably about five years ago, when I started to like really kind of be more financially stable, was always kind of scheming. He's like, you could do this part time thing, or I heard this cousin's doing this and they're making money on the side, and I was like, good for Ian. Like you're, just, you know yeah. what I mean? You're like good yes. for them. Like I don't understand what that has to do with me. Um, but this is the first time that like, I cried on the phone with my mom. I was just like, I don't know what to, I don't know. I don't have any skills. Like, and like, you can't like, what am I going to become a receptionist? I haven't done that in 15 years. (laughs) Like, like, I don't even know, like, I don't type fast. Like, I don't even know if I can't, I was making more money than I was in my starter job. So now it's like, it would be a giant step backwards and those jobs don't exist right now. So it was the first time that like, they didn't have suggestions. They were just like, I don't know. Like, this is shitty. Like this is shitty and nobody knows what to do. Yeah. And just not with none of us having any time frame of when things will be normal. It's like, well, how do you plan then? It's hard enough to pivot in a career or make changes when you know there's a deadline of, okay, well, I just have to do this for this long, but that's this whole other level of difficulty with COVID is, truly not knowing how long it will last, how long it will take for things to get back to normal. But um, before we wrap up, can you share, so your, your special is called Self-Help Me. Can you share, I believe it's the story you posted about the self-help books and just, 
something that I'm sure our listeners would love that is very um, self-help related. Yeah. So um, mental illness runs in both sides of my family. So both my grandmothers were mentally ill. They were in and out of um, mental hospitals. So it's like, it's in my family. It's a part of me. I got a lot of issues. My family has issues. So my little brother, my other brother, uh, Sammy was diagnosed with bipolar one when he was 19. Um, Had a couple of psychotic breaks, just some fun episodes where he was like stabbing trees, talking to Jesus, um, being Jesus, just, you know, run of the mill psychosis. And, um, and the positiveness is that it runs in my family and we were able to identify it because he was being a dick and he was being crazy and anybody else would just be like, my brother's an asshole now. Like, you know, you go off to co- a big college kid, you go off to college and become a dick. Um, but I was, he's like one of my best friends. Like he used to go on the road with me. We would talk every week. And I remembered telling my mom, I was like, something's off with Sam. Like this. And I actually, because I knew about the mental illness in my family, I've always suffered with depression, uh, depressive bouts and stuff. I was like, I always thought I was going to lose my mind. And I don't really know much about my grandmothers. They died before I was born. So we, through Sam getting sick, we kind of learned that my grandma, at least one of them probably had bipolar one, if not schizophrenia. Um, but I always thought that would happen to me. And whenever I got really kind of crazy, I was like, this is it. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> like right. I have jokes throughout almost my full 18 years of just these kind of like anti-fantasies, nightmares of me just kind of being a homeless man yelling at chickens, you know, on the subway, just like being like this level of crazy people um, see and exaggerate. And then it happened to Sam. And like, literally, like, I, like, I've always had empathy for people on the subway that clearly have some kind of mental illness. But like, my, my brother was exhibiting the same behavior. So um, the story in my special um, is about when he set fire to all my father's self-help books, uh, which really happened. It happened at three in the morning. Oh my God. And this had, I think this was his third psychotic break. And they kind of saw that he was ramping up like he was, cause you know, it's, it's depression, then it's mania and then psychotic break. So we started to be able to see that like when he gets really like crafty and he's like, always got these ideas, it's almost a bad sign. Like anybody else would be like, they're really motivated. And he'd be like, I'm going to build a shed. And we're like, Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> He's got a hammer. Um, He's going to Lowe's. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, so whenever he got really crafty, it was always like, is he inspired or is it heading towards something bad? So they kind of knew to look out for it, but they hadn't, you really don't know when it crosses over. And my brother right. Sam is like a fun, weird guy normally. So there really is like a fine line when it turns. And so he said, he said all these self-help books on fire and my mom has dealt with this. She knows how to handle my brother, but I, I swear to God, she calls me and she was just like, she was like, I don't, I don't know. I was, I was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing, buddy? Like, she was just so casual about it. She was like, what are we doing here? And he's like, I'm setting a fire. And she's like, why aren't you using wood? And he's like, we're out. <laughs> and there's a huge thing of fire. And these are all my father's books. And the joke the, kind of the irony, by the way, I mean, it's just like, you can't <laughs> yeah. write this shit. Like, it's, oh, you can't, yeah. you can't. And the whole joke is the fact that my mom was like, it's the sanest thing anyone in our family's ever done. Cause we all hate <laughs> my dad's self-help books. Like it's just, he, it's always comes up. I mean, I've been reading my dad, I've been reading him since I was a kid. I mean, I, and he would, he would use it as leverage. So I remember my best friend from elementary school moved to Tennessee and I wanted to go visit her. And he said he'd pay for the flight for me to go visit her. If I read seven habits of highly effective people, I was 12. I, what am I being effective about? What am I, you know what I mean? I already got yeah. good grades. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like 
doing the best I can. But I remember being a kid on a school bus, already don't have friends. My friend moved away. I'm in a new school district and I'm reading this book and I'm like highlighting it. And then he would test me. He's like, what did you learn? And I was like, I got to be more effective. Like I read like all these books and I know they had a profound effect on my father. And I actually, like I, we can all make fun of my dad sometimes, but I actually think he instilled this belief that you can always get better and that you should always be growing. And that if there's something you don't like about yourself, you can change it and you don't have to just, um, hate yourself. Like you can grow, but in some ways I've gone past that. And now I'm the person being annoying to my dad and being like, you know, there's only so much you could fix with a book. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of blind spots where the way I feel about self-help books is you can only fix which what you already know is a problem. And so if you have some self-awareness or if you're open enough that you can read something and acknowledge that this is an issue of yours, great. But how many people do we know, including ourselves, that there's no way for you to know it unless somebody else points it out and really kind of brings your awareness to it. And then even when you have an awareness, it's really hard to fix because these are ingrained habits for God knows how long. Right. And so I'm the one, I mean, he only went for a couple of sessions, but I was the one that was like, oh, I think you need therapy. Um, yeah. So I don't know. There's, there's a lot of love hate relationship with self-help books. And I also think there's a lot of toxicity with them, which is you read them and you're like, yeah, I can do anything. And you're just like, dun, dun, dun. that's how I feel about quotes. You read a quote and you're like, fucking, that's all you need to know. Yeah. Change the world. <laughs> and then, you know, you lose, the, like you try stuff, you fail at stuff, things get hard. Somebody hurts your feelings, you get triggered, whatever it is that you're trying to work on. And then you kind of go, maybe I don't know enough. And then you read another self-help book and you get that inspiration again. And it becomes this high of, I can do anything. And then when you hit reality again, and reality isn't just like this, these very, these like picture perfect scenarios where it's just like, I showed up and I was wearing my power suit and I told them I need a raise. It's like, it's never that concise. There's always so much like, con like complexity to it that these scenarios and these books never really bring into play. Right. And so you just keep reading and you're gaining all the knowledge, but you're not actually doing anything with it. The same way that you can ace the test, but not learn anything. Sure. It's very, um, can be very cyclical. And it's, we talk on here about how the self-help industry is this billion, multi-billion dollar industry now because people know that about us where they go, well, they liked reading this. They feel like they're fixed, but they know they're not. So they're going to read something else, whatever we put out. And I feel like the self-help books that have really, really changed me are the ones I've had to read multiple times. Like I've read The Artist Way multiple times. I've read The War of Art a couple of times because it was like, I need to actually absorb this in a real way, not just go, oop, I feel motivated and like I got that rush and I'm going to truck on to the next book. Sometimes you have to really in, like ingest it and, and really yeah, feel yeah. it. Or, like, yeah. or study it like you would study a subject. Like you go four years to learn how to become a lawyer and then seven years to become a doctor. Like there's all these things where it's like, you don't read a book and take a test and start doing surgery. Like, right. Right. I like that you said yeah. blind spots. There are a lot of blind spots for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I, I, I constantly acknowledge that I still have tons of them. And it and when somebody points them out, it does not feel good. It no. doesn't feel good. Yeah. So people do whatever they can to not learn about them. And you have to acknowledge that. And I also acknowledge that you can only take, I remember when I first started therapy, it's been like nine years. 
I cried for like two of those years. And I remember about two and a half years in, I was like, can we just have a session where you don't point out what sucks about me? Like, that would be awesome. Like, I just need a positive one because I was just learning so much about my bad habits and what I would do, both like um, self-sabotaging, how I was like being manipulative because I was brought up with people that were manipulative and like all these things that I didn't like in my life that other people did, but I was somehow doing unconsciously. And like, when you learn that you're doing the thing you hate the most, it is devastating, absolutely devastating. Cause also, you know about it, but you can't fix it right away. So you just feel like a monster. So mm. I think also you can only fix so many habits at once. So you don't want to learn about them all at once either, or it becomes defeatist. You just feel like, what's the point? Yeah, for sure. Um, Liz, you're awesome. Thank you so much for, oh, for giving us me, guys. your yeah. time and wisdom. Uh, please plug where people can follow you. Yeah. So everything is um, at Liz Mealy. Um, I always say like Instagram, I hope you like cat pictures. If not, do not follow me. Um, <laughs> it best. is aggressive. I just bought an outfit. Oh my God. I just bought this dinosaur outfit for my cat. So <laughs> oh get ready. God. Oh my God. I'll send you guys Howie. pictures. Howie I am. is upon us. Oh, it came in the mail and I literally, like my roommate was talking to me. I was like, shut up. The dinosaur outfit's here. I grabbed my cat. I put it on. He's literally trying to tell me about a bad day. I was like, you're wrong. We're having a great day. <laughs> I was like, well, oh let me God. get her in this outfit and then you'll feel better. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's an aggressive amount of cat pictures, but I, um, uh, I have my special self-help me, which is free on YouTube. My first hour is also free on YouTube, which is emotionally exhausting to figure out why I am I the way I am. And then I have a, a, an hour in between those that's on like Spotify and you can buy it or whatever. And then my podcast is called two non-doctors and I do it with Maria Shahada, which is, she's just a brilliant comic. She's American, but she's based out of London. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah thanks for having thank me guys. You. I really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Bye Liz. Bye. <laughs> All right. We hope you guys enjoyed listening to Liz. Uh, kind of like you mentioned in the intro, Delaney, she is just, she's so open, makes you feel like you can also be, you know, open and, and flawed. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I love the fact that um, she finds the silver lining in quote unquote yes. failures and stuff like that. I love the tip of like, when you get a shitty comment on a video, just think, oh, this is really getting out there. How great, right? It's yeah. getting outside of my immediate family. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, I love that. I love, I love that, that too. And her taking control of her of her career and her life. Like, mm, I eat that shit up. You know. <laughs> you know, know me. <laughs> I do know. Yeah, it was. So good. It was great. Um, we have an iTunes review of the episode. Do you want to read that? Yes, this is from Sammy Ray 44. Meatballs, makeup, and healthy relationships. Oh my. <laughs> what a great <laughs> opening. So good. That's like the Wizard of Oz, right? Meatballs, yes. makeup, and healthy relationships. Oh my. <laughs> Taylor Delaney and Kelsey have honestly become some of my closest friends, even though they don't know it. They've helped me through a lot and taught me about topics I didn't even know were relevant to me. I found this podcast when I searched self-improvement and it was so refreshing to hear from people that are going through it with you instead of saying they have it all figured out. These girls make me laugh, cry, and really reflect on myself. My therapist asked why I signed up for better help. And when I gushed forever about this podcast and she said that Taylor Delaney and Kelsey must really be an inspiration uh, for me. And I couldn't agree more. That's so nice. Oh, you ladies are the best. Thank you. P.S. Join the Self Helpless Podcast Facebook group if you want a whole community of helpsters to give you guidance and some love. 
Oh, what a nice review. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that you signed up for better help and you're liking it. And uh, yeah, our Facebook group is fantastic. What an awesome yes. group of people in there. Oh my God. Absolutely. And just thank you so much for taking time to leave uh, an incredible iTunes review. If you yes. haven't yet, you guys know, go leave us a five-star rating and review on the show and you get uh, a chance to be read on the episode. So yes. Del, do you have uh, any segments, any, any good oh, shit, any yes. the Fox, any of that? You know, I do have a good shit. I wasn't going to announce it this episode, but I feel like I want to because I think it's super relevant to what Liz was talking about. So I think it yeah. will be helpful for our listeners. But um, I have officially launched a, a solo podcast. <laughs> so, and it's in addition to self-helpish. In addition, don't you worry. I am staying put. Don't you worry. Um, it's called Efficionado with Delaney Fisher because you know I love efficiency and simplicity, and that is my jam. And it's really focused on how to start, scale, and simplify your business or passion project. And when Liz was talking about the steps that she took to figure out what do I want. How do I get there? Get rid of the clutter. That's exactly what number episode of my podcast is about. It's called six questions to ask yourself when you're indecisive. And it takes you step by step through this process of figuring out what the fuck you actually want, taking stock of what's on your plate and, and basically taking action on certain things. So I wasn't going to plug it until there was a few episodes out and I have not told a fucking soul that it's like hey. basically up, but you know what? It's not perfect, but it's there. And I think it is helpful information. So check out Eficionado. You can find it on my Instagram, uh, my website, DelaneyFisher.com. You know, the places you find podcasts. Yes. That's um, my good shit. So proud. <laughs> That's so exciting. Thank um, you. Well, you, speaking of you and your, your business savvy ways, uh, you have helped me keep, continue to keep going with my, um, my online makeup course and starting these online makeup workshops. And I, I apologize if I mentioned this already, but I, I don't think I did that. I did my first online makeup workshop. Yeah, um, I don't think you did. I don't think I did. It was a couple weeks ago and it was so much fun. We did an hour long workshop where um, I, I did a zoom, a zoom workshop with people and we went over their specific makeup needs. We all did our makeup together. It was a blast. And I felt just felt great getting to connect with people in a more one-on-one -on -one way, because that's so different than my online makeup course, which is, you know, a five video makeup course that I have created that you use go watch on your own. Um, but doing a workshop is so much more interactive and both are great. I'm obviously excited about both, but I decided I'm going to make it a monthly thing. So it's going to be <laughs> makeup and mimosas, which is oh. the, just the fucking girliest <laughs> shit ever. Um, I mean, I'm allergic to champagne. So, you know, throw in some vodka if you want. I don't, I don't care if you don't drink, just drink some juice, but yeah. it's going to be usually every first Sunday of the month where it'll, it'll be first come first serve. There'll be three spots available. I'm just going to keep it small so I can make sure to give people enough time and make sure that their concerns are being addressed with makeup in that hour, hour 15 ish. And you get to get glammed up and then go to brunch, right? Yes. It's just like, it's a fun thing to do on a Sunday 
Um, so if you're interested, message me on Instagram. My Instagram's at Kelsey Cook Comedy, K-E-L-S-E-Y, Cook Comedy. And send me your email address. If, if you're interested in this, I will put you on the list and then notify you when the next workshop is. It's going to be Sunday, November 8th. So if you want to get in on it, let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll reach out to you. Beautiful. You guys, listen, as somebody who has had their face completely transformed by Kelsey Cook, you need to get in this workshop. I'm telling you, you don't, some of you might not even think that you, you need it and you do. Okay. <laughs> Cause I'm like, you know how I am. I'm like, ah, whatever I do is fine. It's just, you know, right. But Kelsey gives you highly personalized uh, advice and feedback and tells you exactly what product to buy for your skin tone, your eye shape, your everything. And you can make it very simple for yourself where the routine that you're already doing, sometimes there's just a couple extra little tips that make a huge difference. I can't tell you, I, 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 I use her advice every time I have to do my makeup and I'm always just very excited about it because you know, I've been a real hot mess, as you guys know, if you've listened to the show before, <laughs> this is not something I've been good at. So just go, oh. go sign up. It's, it's fantastic. And you're going to feel really good. You feel very, I feel very sexy and powerful after I do the Kelsey Cook method. I'll tell you that. Oh. I feel like, yeah, I'm a woman. I mean, listen, you know, whether you wear makeup or not, you're a woman, but I'm just saying I feel like a boss bitch and I appreciate it. So yeah, I'm, I'm proud of you and, and I'm excited that you're having fun with it. Thank you. You're so kind. Those are very <laughs> nice words. Um, yeah, you sent me a picture of you over the weekend uh, when you had done your makeup and you looked so fucking beautiful. I was like, who is this Victoria's Secret model that just slid into my phone? Used you all the stunning. tips. Used all the tips. Oh. I got a little sheet with all my hot makeup tips on it. <laughs> I love that you wrote them down. That's fantastic. I have to write them down and keep them in my makeup drawer or else I will forget because there's a lot of cute little ones that you just, you know, if you don't do your makeup for a while, difference. you might forget. Yes. And it's, it's really fun. No, you've really made, you've made me enjoy getting ready and putting makeup on because I used to fucking hate it. So. Oh, I could cry. That, that <laughs> makes me so happy. Um, and as always, the, the online makeup course you can find the link to that in my bio of my instagram as well so if you love makeup if you're interested in learning more about it being a delaney where before you're like ugh, i don't want to do this but i tell you mm -hmm. make you feel great yes i can kels is there anything you want to plug before we wrap it up yes um i will be headlining helium comedy club in philly december 3rd through the 5th if you guys are in Philly or if you're near there, KelseyCook.com for tickets. I'm so excited. Five shows, socially distanced, taking temperatures at the door. The Helium comedy clubs have been really, really safe and great. So come out to that. Beautiful. And there's a thing. Oh, I want to plug. Um, I have a bunch of free shit on my website for you. If you go to DelaneyFisher.com, there are... Um, 12 ways to grow your podcast for free, five mistakes entrepreneurs make and how to fix them. There is an eco-friendly jump starter kit, which so, which so many of you have been asking me for. So yes. all of my favorite, like 
a lot of my favorite products and tips for a more eco-friendly lifestyle. Uh, there's a resume template that works really, really well. It's like 100% effective, not going to lie, uh, at least from my clients and loved ones. And um, I also will be distributing, if you're on my email list, you will get a worksheet that corresponds with each episode of Aficionado. So you can do the exercises while you listen. So you'll get that too uh, on DelaneyFisher.com free shit page. Hell yes. Boom. Uh, well, with that, I think that's all we got for you guys this week. But thank you for listening. And we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to Self Helpless. We really appreciate it and would love anything you can do to help the show grow and get the word out. So if you could leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, that helps us move up the iTunes charts. If you can tell a friend, a coworker, a family member, anybody that you think would love the podcast, you can also screenshot an episode and share it in your Instagram, in your Instagram stories, anything helps. Also, if you want more of the show, if you want bonus episodes, if you want to be able to be more interactive and help choose podcast topics, you can go to patreon.com slash self-helpless and join there. You guys can follow me on Instagram at Kelsey Cook Comedy, on Twitter at Kelsey Cook. You can go to my website, KelseyCook.com, which has links to my online makeup course. You can listen to my album, Savor It, on Spotify and iTunes, and you can watch my foosball web series on YouTube called Wrists of Fury. How about you guys? Where can people find you? You can follow me at Taylor Tomlinson on Instagram and Twitter. My website is ttomcomedy.com. And you can watch my one-hour special streaming on Netflix right now called Quarter Life Crisis. Awesome. And you can find me at DelaneyFisher.com. That's where you'll find information about my one-to-one consulting and my online courses. So basically, if you're a business owner, podcaster, or comedian, uh, and you're looking to either start those things or grow those things, you can reach out to me for more information. I also have an email list at DelaneyFisher.com where I share my favorite tools, tips, treats, and free shit. And then we just want to say a big special thank you to our wonderful editor, and the Erdbrink and our fantastic associate producer, Humaira Nawaz. And you can find everything that we all just mentioned at selfhelplesspodcast.com.